this is not starting out with an excuse, but it is a, an ask from your pastor that I will attempt uh, in a very feeble way to teach on this passage tonight. This is one of the most difficult in the entire Bible. And I'm just asking the Lord to just really enable me to not um, in any way limit what God wants to teach all of us here tonight in this great passage. This is a unique passage of Scripture. I've entitled it, The Drama of the Good Shepherd. It, It literally falls into, in a sense, three acts. Act 1 is chapter 11 in the first three verses. Then Act 2 is verses 4 through 14. And finally, Act 3 is verse 15 through 17. God is going to ask Zechariah to do something that he also asked Ezekiel and Jeremiah to do. And that was literally act out. To sort of enter into the actual acting out of of something in order for him to to truly understand a little bit better about what God was feeling and, and how things were from God's perspective so that then in turn he could communicate that to the people as the prophet of God. And so we're going to see that here tonight. And and I guess I want to start out by saying that's why it's so important that you and I learn to apply, literally in a sense, act out the Scriptures. It is the way not only do they become real to us and they become more meaningful to us, but we retain it. I think I've shared this with you before. Someone can get up and, and... speak on a passage of Scripture, and the next Sunday come before that same group of people and say, what did I speak on last week? And if it's just a matter of someone showing up, listening to the message, getting up out of their seat and going home that week, and then coming back the next week and expecting to really retain and and understand what was said the week before, because it's been a whole week, right? Very few people can retain that. But if we take the scriptures as they are given to us, as we read and study them, and as we are taught them, and we literally enter into them, and we apply these things to our life, then it's much easier for us to be able to recall and remember because these things now have become a part of us. In other words, very simply, If someone speaks on prayer and we start to really ramp up our prayer life, then it's going to be very easy for us the next week and even a month from now to go, I know what was spoken on that Sunday. It was prayer because I've literally entered into a whole new realm of prayer in my life and I'm praying much more, you see. And that's what God is asking Zechariah to do. Because here, God is reminding us that He wants to be our shepherd. He wants to be a shepherd to his people, but one of the things that you're going to see here is that when God sent the good shepherd to his people, the good shepherd was rejected by his people. 
And you remember that as Jesus was even on His way to the cross, Jesus turned to women who were weeping and wailing because of Him going to the cross. And remember what He said to them? He said, don't weep for Me. Weep for yourselves and your children because of the judgment that's going to come. And we know that in 70 A.D., just about 35 years after Jesus was rejected by His people and crucified, the Roman Emperor Titus came in with the Roman legions and literally destroyed Jerusalem. In fact, Jerusalem was under siege for four years. And they tell us in history that over a million Jews died during that four-year siege by the Roman Empire. What we have starting out here in Act 1 of this drama of the Good Shepherd is the reality of the judgment that is coming upon the people who reject their shepherd. And God is also saying, I will judge the leaders of my people, the spiritual and political leaders of my people who led for self instead of selflessly serving my people, who abused and exploited my people rather than take care of them as they should have as leaders. So throughout this passage also, what you're going to see is the kind of shepherd that God is and wants to be to us, and the kind of shepherd that all of us as leaders and even as Christians should be, because He gives us the characteristics of the shepherd here in this passage of Scripture. But first of all, let's go to Act 1. I'm just going to read these three verses. As I read them, you will note that God is using trees and things to describe sort of the, the strength of these leaders, at least in their own mind. And then he's going to talk to them about their pride and how he's going to cut them down in their pride because they think they are unreachable. They think that they, they uh, cannot be touched and that no one can bring them down. And God is saying, oh yes, I can and I will. Open your gates, Lebanon, so that the fire may consume your cedars. Lebanon was known for its mighty cedars. Howl, fir tree, or wail, because the cedar has fallen. The majestic trees have been destroyed. Howl, or wail, oaks of Bashan, because the impenetrable forest has fallen. Listen to the howling of the shepherds. Because their magnificence, their human glory has been destroyed. Listen to the roaring of young lions who are now exposed because the thickets, the hiding places of these young lions have now been destroyed and taken away. You see here that God is saying judgment is coming and nothing can stop it. Because you have rejected me as your shepherd. And you have set yourself up and desired shepherds who are no good. They're worthless. They abuse my people. They exploit my people. And they, they have this pride to them that needs to be taken away. We think today and throughout history about spiritual and political leaders that were so lifted up in pride that they felt like they could not be touched. Like no one could bring them down. 
And God is saying, oh yeah, I can bring you down anytime I want to. So a couple things here then in Act 1 that I think you and I need to be aware of. We need to be aware of pride in our life. We need to make sure that we are always staying humble before the Lord. Cultivating humility. It's one of the things that God looks for in His shepherds, in His leaders. It's one of the things that obviously Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, modeled and was an example of. All through His earthly life, He was a humble man who came to serve rather than to be served. And He gave His life as a ransom for many. But the other thing I want us to note here now, and this should be an encouragement to all of us, is that nothing can stand before the Lord and His power. Nothing. No one or nothing. Nothing is as strong as God. Nothing can stand before the Lord. When He decides to act, then whatever is set up against Him will fall. And the reason I say that that should be an encouragement to each of us is that maybe, you know, we, we have something in our life that seems like that impenetrable forest, that, that strong cedar or that oak of Bashan that just, you know, will not come down. And, and God is reminding us that before me, it can all come down. There's nothing stronger than me. There's nothing more powerful than me. Whatever that giant is, Whatever that force is coming against us, we must remember that God is always greater. That's why God spoke through Paul to the Romans when he said, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? What can be, what can stand against you? Because there's nothing that will stand before God that will eventually not fall and come down. And that's what God is reminding His people of in Act 1 of this great drama. Then we come to verse 4, which begins Act 2. And here again, God is going to direct His prophet Zechariah to literally shepherd a flock. Because God wants this prophet now to understand what it is to be a shepherd. And the challenges of being a shepherd. And the struggles of being a shepherd. And the frustration of being a shepherd. And the joys of being a shepherd. But in this case, like with God, He's going to shepherd a flock that really doesn't want shepherded. So that He can understand how God feels. Whenever God so desires to shepherd His people and gather them up and take care of them and provide for them and protect for them, and they want nothing of it. So notice verse 4. The Lord my God says this, Shepherd, lead the flock of God, literally set aside, destined for slaughter. That's going to be their destiny. Because God sees they're going to reject the shepherd. And oh my, when we reject God's grace, you know what comes? What comes is what we deserve. See, here's, here's, here's an important point. 
We never want God to deal with us as we deserve to be dealt with. We want grace. We need grace. We want God to always deal with us in grace. But when human beings reject the grace that God offers to them, then guess what God gives us? What we desire and what we deserve. That's what happened to His people Israel. They rejected His grace when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to this earth as a man, offering Himself up as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And they said even to Pilate, we will have no king over us but Caesar. He is not our king. Crucify Him. And God said, fine. You reject the shepherd that I've offered to you, this good shepherd that is full of grace and truth, then I will give you what you deserve. I will give you leaders that you desire and deserve who will never treat you as good as I would treat you. See, it's a dangerous place when we settle for less than what God wants to give us. Because then we end up getting what we deserve. And we have to, in a sense, then go through the consequences of those choices because we didn't wait on the Lord to bring His best to us. And that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. So I want you to see, though, here, how God is calling out His prophet now to be a shepherd. God, I, I'm your prophet. I'm not a shepherd. I want you to enter in, Zechariah. I want you to, I want you to begin to understand a little bit better by actually becoming a shepherd of what it's like. So then notice what God says in verse 5. He says, here's the problem with these other shepherds. They buy their flocks to just slaughter them. And they're not held guilty or accountable by anybody. Those who sell them, because (laughs) these worthless shepherds, these bad shepherds, they weren't shepherding the flock to help them. They they, They were shepherding the flock to fleece them. To use them for their own gain. And they even say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. (laughs) Oh, be wary of counting on material, physical things and thinking that that's always a blessing from God. Because that's what the bad shepherds did. Look at all that we've got. God must be blessing us. No, he's just letting it all pile up to be a a testimony and a witness against these bad shepherds. Notice, their own shepherds have no compassion for them. Wow. Can I say... This is one of the characteristics of the good shepherd. And this is, this is what God calls us to be. He wants us to be a compassionate people. He is compassionate towards us. He literally is willing to enter in and feel the pain and empathize and sympathize with us. It is why Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, took upon Himself humanity and humbled Himself and wrapped Himself in human flesh so that no human being could ever say, God 
even though it may be intellectually or in your, your great wisdom, and that you know all things, that you can understand what it's like to be human, but you went beyond that. You actually became human so that none of us could ever say, we don't know, you don't know God what it's like to be human. God can say, oh yes I do. Because I have compassion. And because he was human, the Bible tells us that we have a compassionate high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and our weaknesses. He understands. You see, these shepherds, they had no compassion on their sheep. They were never willing to enter into and feel what their sheep were feeling. And can I tell you, even if you can find one other person in your life, besides the Lord, who is always compassionate towards us, who's always willing to enter in and get in there and feel what we're feeling, that it's always good to have somebody who's willing to do that with us too on a human level. Somebody that's willing to be compassionate, to listen, to hear, to enter in and, and to seek as much as we humanly can, to enter in and feel what others are feeling. It is the mark of actually a great leader it's one of the things that God calls His leaders and His people to be are people who have compassion. They had no compassion. So God says, because you've rejected Me, there's coming a point where I will withhold for a time My compassion on the people of the land. Instead, I will turn every last person over to his neighbor and his king and they will devastate the land and I will deliver it from them. You didn't want me, so I'm going to turn you over to others who will never treat you like I wanted to treat you. But when we reject the grace that God offers us, then God will give us what we desire and what we deserve. So notice verse 7. Zechariah says, So I began to shepherd the flock. Destined for slaughter. Notice, Zechariah is now God's representative. He's entering into shepherding. I know I'm just going in all these different directions, but I apologize for that. But I, I just wanted to say this at this point. However you can enter into the things that God is speaking to you about, do it. It makes the Bible come alive however you can apply it, however you can bring it in and literally experience it yourself. It makes it so much more meaningful and valuable when we can do that. And so he was shepherding this flock, Zechariah, that was destined for slaughter. Notice, the most afflicted of all the flock. The ones that were truly Hurting, if you will. Then he took two staffs, calling one pleasantness and the other binders, and he tended the flock. Now, doesn't this remind you, and we're going to turn there at the end, doesn't this remind you of Psalm 23? In Psalm 23, the shepherd has two staffs, or two sticks. Every shepherd did. A rod and a staff, they comfort me. The one staff was always used as a guiding stick. 
And the word pleasantness here speaks about God pouring out His favor and blessing. So the one stick is called pleasantness because it is God's desire to bless and favor His people, to lead them, if you will, to the green pastures and to the still waters. And that would be what one staff or stick or rod was used for. The other one was always used as a defensive weapon to protect the flock. It wasn't the same. It was different. It was a weapon more than it was a guide. And here God says, I want you to call this rod or staff binders for two reasons. One, it meant that God wants to bind us up. God wants to restore. God wants to heal his flock and his sheep who are hurting, who are wounded, who are in pain. But it also means God not only wants to bind, he wants to band us together. He wants to unify us. And how do we know that that's Where God is headed here, jump ahead with me to verse 14. Then I cut the second staff binders in two in order to annul the covenant of brotherhood between Judah and Israel. You see, God wanted to use the shepherds to be able to bring these two kingdoms that at one time, remember Israel at one time under David and and early on in their history, they were a united kingdom. And it was only because they rejected God and rejected the leaders that God brought to them that they became a divided kingdom. You had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And God said, I always had a desire that my people would never be divided up, but that they would learn to come together and be unified. And that's God's always been his desire. It's not just to lead his people uh, to, to grazing and to, to feed his sheep, but also to unify them and bind them up and heal them and restore them and bring them together so that they can be one. One day that's going to happen. One day when the shepherd Jesus comes back even to his people Israel, they will no longer be a divided people. They will be unified under the one shepherd Jesus Christ. Notice he says at the end of verse 7, and I tended the flock. The word tended means to lead to pasture in order to graze. Another thing that shepherds and leaders and even Christians we need to do is make sure that we are feeding ourselves, grazing on the great banquet, the lush green pastures that God is leading us to and that we are allowing our shepherd to lead us to those green pastures. But also as Christians and especially as leaders, we need to make sure that we're leading others to those green pastures as well so that they can be fed and so they can grow and be healthy. That's what good shepherds do. They not only have compassion on the sheep, but they make sure that those sheep are tended, that there's always food for the sheep. That there's always food for the sheep. Then, he goes on to say this, a good shepherd will protect the sheep from bad shepherds. Notice what he did. I eradicated or literally cut off three shepherds in one month. For I ran out of patience with them and indeed they detested me. They had nothing but contempt for Zechariah as a shepherd. And then I said, I will not shepherd you. What is to die, let it die. What is to be eradicated, let it be eradicated. As for those who survive, let them each 
eat, it, eat each other's flesh. Which, by the way, can I, without getting too gross or graphic, during the four-year siege of Jerusalem, after they rejected the shepherd, Jesus Christ, literally the people of Israel resorted to cannibalism and ate each other's flesh within the walls of Jerusalem before Titus came in and destroyed it. Exactly what God is speaking about here. That was the, that was the consequence. Then, he says, I took my staff pleasantness and I cut it in two to annul my covenant, to withdraw my hand of protection that I had made with all the people. Now, God isn't saying here through Zechariah that I'm going back on a promise. Remember, covenants are two kinds of covenants in the Bible. They're unconditional, unilateral covenants that God makes with us or with others and says, I'm going to do this regardless of what you do or don't do. But there are other covenants in the Bible that God enters into with people, and they are bilateral covenants. Meaning God says, if you do this, then I will do this. And so God said to his people, if you do certain things, then I'll do certain things. But if you reject me and you continue to to pile up your idolatry and you have no regard for me, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to for a time, because I I did make a promise to Abraham that was unconditional. I will always have you as my people. I will always come back and turn back to you and I will always have a remnant. But for a time, I will withhold my hand of protection and you will go into exile. And several times in Israel's history, they went into exile because they did not hold up their end of the covenant. And again, God did that, not because he didn't love them, but because he was using those times of exile where he withdrew his presence, if you will, from them, and he withdrew his hand of protection so that they would come back to him, so that they would realize what they had in him. They would realize how good they had it. Because sometimes isn't that the way it is? Even with us, we think the grass is greener, if you will, like a sheep. And a lot of times, it's not any greener over there than it was here, but that's the way people are today. It's always better somewhere else. Then I took my staff, pleasantness, cut it in two to annul my covenant, verse 10, that I made with all the people. So it was annulled that very day. And the most afflicted of the flock, who did keep faith with me. So notice, there was a faithful remnant, even at this point, knew that this was the word of the Lord. In other words, that faithful remnant understood that this was all prophesied and predicted by God, and it all lined up with what God said, so they weren't surprised by it. They knew it was coming. Just like God wants His people today to be. That even though we may see some terrible signs, if you will, and terrible consequences in our world and even in our country of of people turning their back on God and rejecting God, we're not surprised by it because we understand God has said, this is the way it will be. And yes, I will be with my people and I will protect my people and I will preserve my remnant. But folks, there are going to be these signs and these consequences and this chaos and this hopelessness in the world because it is part and parcel of what happens when nations and leaders and people reject the Lord. Verse 12, Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, pay me my wages. But if not, forget it. 
And so they weighed out my payment, 30 pieces of silver. The exact amount that Judas sold Jesus for. You see, the significance here is that 500 years before Jesus came in Bethlehem, God, in a sense, was prophesying through the prophet Zechariah how Jesus would not be valued by those around him and how he literally would be valued for the price of a slave. You see, the significance of the 30 pieces of silver here is that's what a year's wages was for a slave. Wasn't much. So they were basically saying to Zechariah, here's what I think of your shepherding. Here's what I think of you. See, how we're treated by others is what they really think of us as far as our value and our worth. And Zechariah was not paid well at all. In fact, the Lord told him, throw it to the potter, that exorbitant, God's being very sarcastic here, that exorbitant sum at which they valued you. They didn't value Zechariah or his shepherding. They didn't think much of it. So God says, well, don't even accept it. That would be an insult to accept such a, such a demeaning wage. Throw it to the potter's field. Again, isn't it interesting that when Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, he went out and he hung himself, and where did he hang himself? In a potter's field. What's the significance of the potter's field? Well, many don't understand that, that, yes, the potters made beautiful pottery. And around the temple area, whether it was in Jesus' day where Judas eventually hung himself, or even in Zechariah's day, there were many potters there that, that were making beautiful pieces of pottery. But along with all those good pieces of pottery, they also made a lot of mistakes. And they had a lot of broken pieces. And so right next to the potter's wheel and to the potter's sort of place of business would be this sort of field that was just filled with chards and, and scraps and pieces of pottery that were basically useless. And they just piled up into this basically garbage heap of broken pottery. And that's where the Lord says, throw it, because God says basically... They don't have any value of you. And they didn't have any value of Jesus either. I mean, Jesus was literally sold to the Jewish authorities for 30 pieces of silver. What a slave. A yearly wage. The Lord of glory. The one who created the universe. The one who sustains the The one who came to die for our sins. And he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. What do you think today? Let's run this out for just a minute because we have a little time. How many human beings even right now on planet Earth don't see any value in Jesus Christ at all? Because if they did, they would obviously live different. There'd be different priorities in their life, whatever. They don't see any value in him at all. Totally disregard him. Totally blow him off as if no big deal. And again, that's their choice. God gives us that choice. He gives us a free will. But one day they're 
they're going to recognize that choice. In fact, later on in a couple weeks when we get to the last couple chapters of Zechariah, there's a moving passage where the Jews, when Jesus comes back, they actually, they actually, it hits them that as a people, as a nation, they crucified their Messiah. And they're weeping and they're wailing because they understand what a, what a mistake they made. And they ask God to forgive them, and He does. In fact, we sang about nothing but the blood of Jesus. Zechariah 13.1 talks about how God in that day is going to open up this fountain in Jerusalem for the cleansing of His people. What a great picture. So you see it here. They did not value Jesus and they did not value Zechariah. So Zechariah says, I took the 30 pieces of silver, threw them to the potter at the temple of the Lord. Then I cut the second staff binders in two in order to annul the covenant of brotherhood between Jude and Israel because they would not come together. And then we come to Act 3. And here now God asks Zechariah, I don't want you to play the good shepherd now. I want you to play the bad shepherd. But because my people have rejected the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to raise up the shepherd that they desire and that they deserve. Isn't that interesting? Why do we as humans do that? You know, Paul had that same problem with the Corinthians. Paul said, the more I love you, the less you love me back. And Paul's trying to say, nobody's going to care for you any more than I do, but... There's no reciprocation here. Can you imagine how God feels? Whenever God has poured out Himself and His love and all of this, His compassion, and it's never received. So then you and I can begin to understand a little bit then how God feels whenever we experience that in our relationships. Whenever we give and it's not acknowledged, whenever we pour ourselves out and it's not received in the way it should be valued, we can understand just a little bit about how God feels way, way beyond that. So again, verse 15, Act 3, the Lord said to me, Now take up once more the equipment of a foolish or unwise shepherd. Because he said, Indeed, I am about to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not take heed to the sheep headed to slaughter. And beginning here, by the way, in verse 16, besides having compassion on the sheep and tending the sheep, here now are the characteristics of a good shepherd the kind of shepherd that God is to us, and the kind of shepherds and leaders and people God wants His people to be. What's the characteristic? Just the opposite of what these foolish shepherds were or the foolish shepherd that God was going to raise up. And why again was God raising him up? Because they rejected God in His grace, giving them the good shepherd, and so now they were going to get the shepherd that they desire and that they deserve. First of all, they took no heed to the sheep. It meant they didn't pay any attention. It was like they weren't even there. 
like they looked past him. God says, I never look past you. I always keep my eye on you. You're the apple of my eye. We, said, we saw that in Zechariah. He's always paying attention to us. And a good shepherd always pays attention to his sheep because he wants to make sure that they're protected and that they're provided for and that there's no harm that comes to them. Then he says also, another characteristic is they will not seek the scattered. A good shepherd will. A good shepherd will always go after the one that's wandering, the one that's hurting, the one that's maybe in need of a little bit more attention at that time. But the good shepherd always goes after that one because that one is just as valuable as Jesus said to 99 that I left to go after that one because everyone is equally valuable in God's sight. And then will not heal the injured. A good shepherd always brings healing to his sheep. You know who good shepherds are in our lives? Well, first of all, the Lord is. You know why? Because He always brings healing. Meaning, he, every time we come into His presence, He wants to refresh us. He wants to restore us. He wants to build us up. He wants to say good things to us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to heal us and comfort us. You'll be able to tell who the good shepherds, in a sense, are in your life because they will always bring healing to you. They will always be around you to encourage you, and support you, comfort you. That's what shepherds do. That's who the Lord is. And then notice, moreover, the bad shepherd will not nourish the one who's even healthy. Good shepherds always make sure that their sheep have nourishment. Because notice, the bad shepherd will nourish the one that's healthy, but for his own ends. Not for the good of the sheep, but for him. Instead, he will eat the meat of the fat sheep. He only fattens the sheep up, fattens the sheep up to fleece him, in a sense. To feed off of him for himself, rather than to do his best for his sheep. And tear off their hooves. Oh, what a graphic picture that is. So notice, Yahweh, verse 17, is not oblivious to the shepherd who abuses and exploits his people. No. He started out this chapter with howling and wailing, and he ends this chapter with a woe. Woe to the worthless shepherd who abandons the flock, who leaves, who forsakes the flock. That's not what good shepherds do. Good shepherds never abandon their sheep. And then God says this, may a sword fall on the arm of and his right eye. May his arm wither completely away and his right eye become completely blind. What's God saying here? What God is saying is, I'm going to completely incapacitate him so that he can no longer be a shepherd to hurt my people. By taking away his right eye symbolically in his right arm, he's basically saying, this worthless, evil shepherd who's hurting my people will not be able to perform his duties as a shepherd any longer without an eye and without his right arm. So I'm cutting him off so that he can no longer hurt my people. Keep all these principles and things in mind from Zechariah 11 and go in closing with me to Psalm 23. Because I want you to see by way of contrast here tonight 
the Lord, our shepherd. And what a great shepherd we have. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of His reputation. And even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. And surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. If I could encourage you, I would ask you to do this. I think it will be an encouragement to you. For the next week, just a week, every day for a week, read Psalm 23 and remind yourself of the goodness and greatness of the shepherd that we have. Let's pray. God, thank you. Though this chapter was in some ways very dark and filled with judgment, God, I pray tonight that these folks that I love dearly got something out of this chapter. That God, in some way, you were able to override my lack of in order to bring something to them that could build them up as your sheep and refresh them and nourish them. And God, I pray tonight that we would just be reminded of what a good shepherd we have. He has such compassion on us. He tends us every day. He's always there to heal us. He's always there to protect us. He never abandons us. In fact, He even said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, such a great shepherd. God, I pray tonight that we would just follow our good shepherd and let His rod and staff continue to reassure us each and every day. Lord, make this whole concept of sheep and shepherds so real to us that even though we don't live in that kind of a culture, and probably none of us here probably actually have sheep that we tend, God, help us to, to see through your eyes how this is such a precious Metaphor and a precious picture of who you want to be to us, your people. And instead of wandering off our own way, God, help us as your sheep to just follow right behind you. Encourage us tonight, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, I love you. Thanks for hanging in there with me tonight. See you next week.